cliffcentral.com. Welcome to the Renegade Report. I'm Jonathan. And Ramon is present. And uh, sorry if the sounds a bit funny. We've been relegated. To yeah, we were in, we're in the uh, studio next to the bathroom. I think you can hear it flashing at the moment. Right. That'll happen periodically through the podcast. You know, it just gives that extra vibe. Yeah, it, apparently, we had to book our studio way beforehand, even though we're, like, we're the top. I thought we could just walk in here and just go in, but no. Yeah, unfortunately, um, Cliff Central is like a socialist sort of station. So, unfortunately... <laughs> It's equality. Right. The um, first the queue gets there. Yeah, it's just... It's but I'm white. I don't queue for anything <laughs> at all. You're white. You don't queue for anything. Right. And um, today, we uh, we have someone else who's white uh, and someone like, from... Like proper white, though. Proper white. Yeah. Pro- pro- and part of the those evil, evil colonialists speaks that horrible language called English um, and is responsible for... Many of the, uh, not him personally, but uh, thank, definitely thank his ancestors. His, for responsible for, for many great things, including uh, part of the cell phone you're listening to this on. So, Ramon, you want to uh, go ahead and introduce? So, joining us this week is James Dellingpole, uh, executive editor of Breitbart in London. I think you just triggered all of our listeners. Oh, Breitbart. <laughs> yeah, you said Breitbart. Now they just they have to switch off unless. It's, uh, I mean, the Russians are in their ears now. Oh, right. They're listening to us right now. Are they sending you instructions, yeah. James? Although, weirdly, I saw, this, I saw this film last night called While We're Young. Have you seen that? Uh, no. no. Where. Well, there's an old professor in it whose name is, is uh, or, or he's an old filmmaker, and his name is Breitbart. So they've kind of, this film produced by liberal Hollywood has, has actually normalized the name and made it, and made it a safe space. <laughs> yeah, I'm, sh- I'm sure. Let's, let's see how, how it does in the US. Right, so as I was yeah. saying, so he's the executive editor of Breitbart in London, but he's written for, I mean, hundreds of, of papers, The Telegraph, The, the Sun... The Daily Mail. Uh, he's written a few books. One of which I can recommend, which is called Watermelons, which is uh, an excellent book about the origins of the eco-mentalist movement. Uh, which is a very good book, but uh, quite quite disheartening as well, to be honest. But James, nevertheless, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining Thank us. You. A big celebrity like you joining a pokey little South African podcast. It's uh, yeah, it's good to have yeah, you. Yeah, you keep. Keep blowing smoke up my ass. I like that. I, I, I think, it, you know what? I think one of the many awful things about the modern world is the way that the young don't treat their elders with enough respect. And it's good to see you young lads. Um, <laughs> even, even though one of you is a lawyer, a, 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 not, not my favorite profession, it's good to see that you look up to, to old stages like me. So thanks. I mean, absolutely. Well, the, well, the pleasure is all ours. I have my sources <laughs> stating that you are actually the man responsible for finding Milo Yiannopoulos. Is that true? Because I heard a few um, podcasts about three, four years ago when you had him on, and he was an unknown. Yeah, I, no, I think I think the, the truth is I kind of invented Milo Yiannopoulos. Um, I taught him what he knows because because I one of the things I've, I, I've noticed about about being around for a while is that the people who you were at school with or at university with or or in the early stages of your career with, they suddenly inevitably become famous, or at least some of them do. So, so the guy who used to smoke dope with at Oxford became Prime Minister. Um, <laughs> right. And and the and guy who used to be a, a, a sort of a, a sweet, winsome, flirtatious, gay, queenie, um, 
is it Mariah Carey he likes? Is what one of those? Things, he those loves singers. Mariah Carey. Um, yes. He 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 turned into Milo Yiannopoulos, and I I, I, I Milo probably won't admit this now because he he's obviously got far too grand. But I think in the early days he would certainly have admitted that his pro style was borrowed from mine. He looked up to me. I was I was his hero for a while, and then he in the, in the way that the young do, the ambitious young do, he absorbed a lot of my 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 um, knowledge and, and my technique and made it his own and became the enormous thing that he is today. And I don't begrudge him that. I think fair play. All right. So, I mean, he has gotten huge as certainly as a name and as a celebrity speaking for, I suppose, what you would call the right. Uh, but now we sort of had this fall from grace uh, over the past uh, three weeks, month, uh, we haven't heard too much from him. I know he's still active on Facebook and, and still writing quite a bit. Um, do you think uh, this is a sort of just a short setback or? Yeah, totally. Um, obviously, he will because you think about what it was that temporarily um, was. He's basically the, the victim of a of a sort of hit job by. I think probably disgruntled conservatives, never Trumpers. Mm, um, yes. I think are they called the, the Reagan Battalion or something? Mm, yeah, well, that, that was a Twitter account. Yeah, it's a Twitter yeah. account that uh, sort of leaked. I mean, it wasn't really leaked. It was just uh, pointed fingers at the at the podcast quite vociferously yeah. just on the eve of CPAC. Yeah. It's, have you read um, a book by Vox Day called Social Justice Warriors? SJWs always lie. I, I, I've read about it, but not itself. Yeah, there's, 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 there's one key key section that you need to read, which, which, which talks about how SJWs operate. And they borrow tactics from Alinsky's Rules for Radicals. Indeed. And, and you mentioned that, that all they did was point out something that Milo had said on a particular vidcast or podcast. Um, and that is a tactic known as point and shriek. And if enough people point and shriek, like, look at, look at this. This is really, this is so awful. Wait till you hear what he said. It's awful. Don't even listen to what he actually said. Just, just accept from us. It's really, really, really bad. And you're going to be shocked by it. It's awful. If you say that, uh, enough people say that soon enough, um, it's like, it's a form of SJW blitzkrieg. So your target gets overwhelmed. No one wants to defend your target because they don't want to be they don't want to be dragged down with the sinking Titanic, as it were. They don't want to be um, yeah. dragged down by the downdraft. Um, and suddenly, your target has been destroyed, and they can move on to the next to the next target. They, this is how this is how the left operates. It's, it's certainly how the left has, has operated since the what when did Alinsky write his rules for radicals in the nineteen sixties? Yeah, in the sixties. Um, and we, I think, on the conservative side of the argument, have got to develop better strategies for dealing with this because, I mean, it's not like it's new. They do this all the time. One of the things you do, I think, uh, as advised by Vox Day, is you never apologise. Yeah, because absolutely. Once they've once they've wrung an apology out of you. They don't go away. They just think, right, okay, now we want more. Now we want this guy sacked because obviously he's admitted to his crime now. Um, now we can destroy him. So Milo made a mistake because he did, he did apologise. I think he recognised that endorsing kind of sort of man-boy love 
was something he wasn't quite going to get away with. Yeah, I, it's it's if only he'd brazened it out. It's interesting. That would have been the right thing. Yeah, it's interesting because obviously what he said. I understand where the outrage came from. We've briefly discussed it before on our podcast. Um, but at the same time, it's it's an interesting case because he's speaking from his personal experience. So he... he that, he's a victim. That, well, that, well, exactly. And he, should have, he should have played the victim. <laughs> I can't help saying these terrible things because because I was abused by... A, by a Catholic priest, and, and and it's screwed me up so much that look at look at the monster I've become. Look well, at the monster I've become. Well, that's what he should have done. Surely that's where it's going to go next. I'm sure it'll be something to the effect of Milo only has these ridiculous beliefs and and views because um, he was abused and he's a victim and he doesn't know any better. I don't know. I I, I just think that that we've. I wrote a piece about this for which I got censored on Facebook. Um, There's a surprise uh, by Snopes yeah, and the but, Associated Press. I use the word. It's not a, a word I normally use, um, a four-letter word beginning with C. Um, not my favourite four-letter word beginning with C, but, but cuck, short term, <laughs> which, which is fashionable, I, I gather, in, among the kind of the, the red meat right in America. Indeed. Um, as, as a term of abuse for conservative squishes. And... I don't like the word because I'm English and it's kind of macho American and I'm really not macho American. Nevertheless, I think it's pretty appropriate in, in, in these circumstances because what it was a case of, I think, was social conservatives, um, more conservatives, centrist conservatives, squishes, rhinos, whatever, throwing a, a more extreme conservative to the, to the wolves in order to appease the liberal left. So there's a lot of conservatives right now in America who are really unhappy that, that Donald Trump is, is president. Why are they unhappy? Well, because he did terrible things like like um, use locker room banter to talk about women. And obviously, you really can't do that. I mean, that totally renders him ineligible to be U.S. president, doesn't he? Doesn't it? Um, as, um, a, as opposed to being a philanderer of women and, and your, your brother kind of killing one and all those kinds yeah, of things. Yeah. Or, or, or like being the worst president ever. I mean, no, no matter how beautifully coffee-coloured uh, Obama's skin was, uh, he was the worst president ever. And, it, and it's weird to, that, that, that even people on the, on the right, some of them, seem to think that it would be better to have a really, really crap president who, who on, on whose watch ISIS appears and and the world falls to pieces and the u.s economy continues to stagnate they'd rather have that yeah um a guy who can talk in a in a gravelly um a gravelly reassuring voice and use kind of rhetoric they'd rather have that than a really quite good president who's going to make make america great again and who's who's going to stick up for western civilization but who uses bad language and and doesn't and doesn't give a handshake to Angela Merkel when he goes to the summit. I, it, it, there's so much foolishness on our side of the argument. I, I, I think sometimes think we deserve to lose, we conservatives, because we will always sacrifice the brightest and best of our own in order to make ourselves more acceptable well, to the but, mainstream. Yeah, but James, I mean, I, I like the fact that Donald Trump won, but I don't like him. 
And I don't think he is the savior of Western civilization, so to speak. If so, perhaps by accident, because the man is not a cultured man. <laughs> I don't think he's read a book in 20 years. And Do you care? No, I don't. That's the why thing. Does it matter? No. Are you going to discuss not? it in the ad with him, War and Peace, um, Jane Austen? It doesn't really matter, does it? What you want is a guy in the White House who's going to advance... I mean stuff like stuff that we've been fighting for and arguing for years and have never got stuff like smaller government which we haven't had since even Reagan didn't cut back on the size of the state no, the size doesn't. of the state grew under under Ronald Reagan um, a guy who's going to put an end to the lunacy that is climate change that the, all, all the all the money that gets wasted on environmentalism um, I mean how good is it that we finally got somebody in the White House who's finally going to put a stop to that nonsense? So there, so there's two things. I'm not so worried about his his views on on free trade. I think that he's actually a realist when coming down a bit. The bigger issue is this: the world was the the Western world had been hijacked by the agenda of the the globalists, aka the liberal elite a.k.a. Davos Man. And probably the person who was in charge of this, this new world order was Angela Merkel. And at the G20 summit um, a few days ago, effectively, she, she, was, she, she had the reins of power seized from her by Donald Trump. And Donald Trump is leading the world order now. And it's a much better world order than the one that was led by those by devil's man <laughs> or devil's woman in this case james please yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> look you you make a, a point that i've i've heard uh, i've heard before i uh, listening to a, another podcast um recently with david horowitz who made the point that um re- republicans conservatives uh, always get out of the way of uh, the so-called liberals of the u.s um whether they're right or wrong or or, or whether they've got uh, the, the right of way, they seem to just back down. And instead of being quite aggressive, he was uh, uh, actually, with regards to Milo, pushing the way Milo does things because he believes that the only way to overcome the what we would probably refer to now as the regressive left is really to just be quite aggressive about it. Uh, yeah. that, and that's not everyone's cup of tea, but... No. But, but Horowitz is a, is a street fighter. He, yes. he used to be a man of the left. And yeah. he understands how the left rolls. Yes, so, so he's, um, he's using left principles on the right, essentially, because, I mean, yeah. he comes from a, the Black Panther era. Um, yeah, but the, the, reason, the reason most of us on the conservative side of the argument don't, are not so good at, at fighting as on the left is because we are conservatives. We kind of like things as they are. We, we're not in the business of, of, of radical change. And we don't have the appetite that the left does for things like demos, going on demonstrations, direct action. Um, and the other weapon they've got is committees. Their, their appetite for infiltrating organisations, sitting on committees, mm. uh, staying up late at, late at night. Because for them, and this all goes back to Hegel, at least, um, as far back as Hegel and possibly possibly earlier, I mean, possibly right back to the to Plato's Republic, um, they are obsessed with the idea that people like them should be 
um, controlling the little people with their agenda. And so no trouble is too much trouble to, to advance their cause. Whereas we just want to do stuff like walk the dog and earn more money in our, in our respective professions, um, you know, treat some patients, rip off some clients um, in your work <laughs> or whatever, uh, write some more articles in my case. And so when we, when we encounter somebody like Milo or David Horowitz, who, whose behavior accords more with our idea of, of, of left-wing behavior, we don't really understand it. it we, we find it a bit scary, uh, a, bit, a bit out there. And we don't give these people the fast support that we we, we, we should do. I'll give, I'll give you a, a military analogy because I'm, I'm quite given to military analogies. Um, sometimes in war, you need to, to leave the fighting to be done by the really bad guys. I mean, there's, there's some research that's been, been done on this, isn't there, that in every military unit, the, mm. the, the bulk of the killing is carried out by, by a, a fairly small number of, of, of borderline psychopaths, <laughs> while everyone else provide, provides covering fire. And that's fine. I, I say, let the psychopaths go in and kill the enemy, because that's what we need. Yeah, the problem with the left as well, which which took us a long time to find out, is that when we discuss things, we try to be as civil as possible. We follow the, the classic approach uh, of logical argument: be charitable, let the person speak. Uh, you know, that's you know, yeah, a, a, a real like debate, that. a real debate. And then the left comes, and it's it's about deplatforming, it's banging pans, screaming, people screaming, uh, and then we 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 were on the back foot for a couple of decades, I might add. Yeah. We've been, but we, on our side of the argument, have been saying this kind of this kind of stuff for quite a long time, haven't we? How many how many elegant articles have I written making this point about how we've got the facts on our side, but the other side they use techniques like ad hominem, um, ad populem, um, argumentum ad vericundium, uh, <laughs> the, the appeal to authority, all these all, all these cheats they use in order to close down the debate, calling us racist, calling us sexist. And have they made any difference? No, they haven't. It's, I, I think it's time we stop whinging about, about the dodgy tactics of the other side. No, absolutely. Against them. You know, the knight belongs to Charlie. Okay, we'll start copying Charlie's techniques. Yeah. I mean, that, another of my favorite books um, is a book by Bill Slim called Defeat and Interviction-Victory. Uh, Bill Slim was the greatest... British general of the Second World War, and he was put in charge of the Sixth Army in in Burma, and they got all the worst kit, all the kind of handovers from from the Western front, uh, the, from the, the the Western Europe theatre, which was considered far more important, um, and they were known as the Forgotten Army. And at the beginning of the war, as you know, the the Allied forces, the the British and the and the the, the Indians and, and, and whatever were completely overwhelmed by the Japanese who used to do horrible horrible techniques like they'd send as the British were retreating they'd send their troops uh, on the on the path of retreat they'd build these blockades across the, the path of retreat and then they, and, and then they'd they'd wipe out the British when, when they got stuck trying to clear a, a passage through it and they did all these nasty things like bayoneting prisoners in hospitals and, and, and using you know using nurses for bayonet practice after they'd rape them and stuff and initially we, we all went this is just so horrible these these this enemy is just so evil we we can't do anything anything about them we just got to run mm. 
the second but the, the, but, but the fight back happened when slim persuaded his troops these these are humans they're not monsters we can defeat them we can just borrow some of their their techniques not necessarily benefiting nurses but 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 some of their techniques and we can use them against them and soon by ceasing to be afraid of the enemy and 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 stealing the best of their methods we overcame them and that's what we need to do okay be afraid of taking them so perhaps we can apply to a a real life military situation as well i I, I guess you have some interest in on the military side of things Uh, let's talk isis for a bit um, and before ISIS, Al-Qaeda and every other sort of insurgent group, uh, the Americans learned the lesson the hard way. You guys were allies with them in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, you, you know, Americans going into sort of uh, cities thinking that they could fight uh, a war like they had always fought a war and discovering that behind uh, the 16-year-old girl over there was a man a gunman who was you know dressed in normal clothing and uh sort of taking out units improvised explosive devices all these types of things and it it took it seems to me at least i I, i'm not that okay with military stuff anymore but it seems to me that it took a long time for them to adjust to learn how to fight in that urban environment um with that kind of enemy uh and then the problem from my perspective, that that there seems to have been with ISIS, uh, amongst a whole bunch of other issues, including the will to fight from people like Obama, um, has been that they we don't want to fight as dirty as them. Is that yes. is that fair? Well, I tell you my view on the whole ISIS thing. Um, there was an article which should have been more widely read, I think, which I can't remember what, what the publication was. You can probably Google it, mm. but. It explained how ISIS was almost the, almost entirely the creation of the American occupation in the aftermath of the Second Gulf War, which I think, with hindsight, was a massive mistake. Um, there was a time when I used to be a neocon or a neocon sympathizer, at least. I like the idea that the West could remake the developing world um the basket case in middle east in its own image and i now realize that unless you're the roman empire unless having conquered the country and then co-opted all the local chieftains and been prepared to virtually bankrupt yourself by building a a, a camp every mile and yeah. having it uh, having it patrolled in between by by an occupying force the the neocon model just doesn't work you can't just you can't go in there effect regime change and then piss off after a few years imagining that your work is done because what happens is that by deposing one strong man you often get um an even worse strong man which is pretty much what happened in Egypt after the Arab Arab Spring, uh, after Mubarak was deposed, or as happened in Libya, you get an even worse scenario where you get rid of Gaddafi, and then you get replaced by loads of yeah a war zone with loads of competing terrorist outfits. So I am very against the idea of Western intervention. I think it was a complete disaster in Afghanistan. We should never have been there. We completely screwed up whatever we 
whatever good intentions we may have had in Iraq, um, they they collapsed in the aftermath, which was very, very badly handled. And I don't know whether you're aware of, of how ISIS grew up in the under the American occupation, but, but it, what happened was this. Um, the Americans, the American intelligence services, were very effective at finding out all the cells of all the sort of um, uh, insurgency cells in Iraq. So they arrested, or they arrested all the terrorists and all potential terrorists. They rounded them up and they put them in camps. At which point, what happened? All the terrorists got together. Were all together <laughs> yeah. in the prison. And um, Abu Bakr al Baghdadi was used by the Americans as their trusty. He was the guy that the go-to guy that the, the, the Americans had his ear and he had the ear of the prisoners. And the Americans thought, great, we've got this guy Baghdadi and he's really good at keeping these guys under control. Well, <laughs> look what happened. So um, that brings me round to what I think we should be doing about ISIS in, in Iraq and Syria. And the answer is pretty much what we're doing now, which is essentially leaving the nations of the Middle East to slug it out and giving them a bit of intelligence support, a bit of drone support, a bit of sniper support, a bit of uh, artillery and air support, but not really committing too many troops on the ground. Because look, look at what's happening in, in, in Mosul right now. So Mosul's been liberated by a, an army, which is not ideal from a Western point of view, because it's quite sheer dominated. And we know that Iran is one of the big problems in the in, in the Middle East right now. Uh, it's it's generating a lot, a lot of the terrorism. So you've got this uh, the Shia army going into to Mosul, into Sunni areas. Uh, particularly East Mosul, which, which was which was Sunni dominated, and the Sunnis were not necessarily um, ISIS sympathisers, but they became ISIS sympathisers because in in response. Oh, we've seemed to have lost your connection there. Sorry, we lost you for we lost oh. you for for ten seconds. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. There we go. How do you know? Yeah. Yes. Sorry, I'll just pick that bit up. Yeah. So, thank you. Um, the uh, when when Iraq had a Shia government, it drove a lot of the Sunni population into the arms of of ISIS by persecuting them. So people who would not necessarily be natural ISIS supporters, nevertheless, joined ISIS or sympathised with ISIS as as a kind of defence against the injustices which were being perpetrated against them by by um the government Shiites. Yeah. So by, by the government. So I suppose the point I'm making is, is is that there are allegiances and and sectarian issues which which we simply in the West cannot solve and should not ever be our problem. They're a Middle Eastern problem. They're a local problem. I mean, I think one of the biggest mistakes ever was not letting Iraq and Iran carry on slugging it out in that massive sort of equivalent to World War One they had. Uh, better them killing each other than killing us. So, I mean, going on from, from war, James, I mean, I assume that as a conservative, you're not, you're not too 
too big on on immigration to to England at least. Um, what is your what is your position on okay between there's refugees and then there's economic refugees and they're not the same thing and most people coming to England are the latter they're not actually from Syria so <laughs> if you had a policy about immigration uh, what would it be um, it certainly would, would uh, it certainly wouldn't be open borders put it that way um, I think there's a, there's a, uh, I, I used to say that I was a libertarian and uh, I realized that actually no I, I might be libertarian as an adjective but never as a noun because libertarians um, embrace a multitude of sins and there's a certain kind of libertarian which believes in open borders and say yeah let's let as many as as, as in as want to come because after all we're a global economy and 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 blah 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 but actually the reason I'm, I'm not a libertarian, a pure libertarian in that sense, is because I also have a conservative understanding about um, cultural integrity, yeah. for want of a better word. I mean, the, the, the left would like to portray this as, as, as nationalism or even kind of white supremacism. Mm. But I suppose that I, as an Englishman, I certainly would want to live in a country where the majority of people were of uh, Anglo-Saxon heritage who shared my my cultural values. I mean, that doesn't mean that... For, what, what's interesting in, in my my lifetime is is, is that uh, it used to be a kind of white-on-black tension, which I think is largely absent now. I think I think black people are so well assimilated, you know, that the, the first... That, that wave that came over with the um, with the Empire Windrush in the 1960s from, from Jamaica, for example. Yes. They are now as British as, as they come, as British as, as I am. And that's fine. If they identify with the culture and values of the host country, for me, that's not a big deal. It's not, I, don't, I don't really care that much about their, about their skin colour. It's when they don't want to integrate, which has been the case, unfortunately, with with uh, particularly people from the parts of the Indian subcontinent, particularly um, Bangladeshis and Pakistanis in in the former former mill towns and industrial towns of northern England, especially, but also in parts of of, of the southeast like Luton and, yeah. and Birmingham, of course. These ghettos have sprung up of people who not only don't want to assimilate, but but even want their own parallel law system. They want to have Sharia law. And that seems to me a basis for um, massive um, cultural tension. But it's, it's seditious too. That hasn't got the same uh, law, law system even. Yes, but, but here's the thing. I mean, can you blame them when the government tries to acquiesce every single uh, what do you call it? Every single time they have a request, the government goes and says, yes, of course, yes, of course. That the government itself doesn't apply the law equally, such as the Rotherham rape scandal, right? They were worried about pointing out gangs for fear of being called racist, but the, the gangs raped like, 1,400 girls. I mean... If the government doesn't apply the laws, say that the government is spineless. <laughs> well, it's things. obvious, but immigration has to work like that. It's equal application of laws and integration. It's not. It's not just one or the other. It has to be both. Well, 
we had a wonderful moment in Britain last year when when we won Brexit, uh, and and it was it, it was the best political event of my lifetime, without without a question, the most significant political event. Um, but of course, one of the fantasies of people like me, I I I, I took part in a, a film called Brexit the movie, and this had loads of really sound people like me talking about our vision of, of of Britain outside the EU. And in this vision, Britain was a a free market economy. And um, it, it, it was it was like like fulfilled my wish list of cool things that would happen to Britain outside the EU. But actually what we've got post Brexit is this government which is more like continuation Cameron continuation Tony Blair these these faux conservatives who've got no appetite to do any conservative things be it cut taxes um, uh, reduce regulation or indeed confront the serious social problems in our in our midst starting with with unrepentant fundamentalist Islam there's no appetite there at all. They're still playing the Islam is religion of peace. This has got nothing to do with, with Islam game. When it clearly is something to do with Islam, it, it, it's it's a given. Yeah. And with, there yeah. seems there seems to be a, it's not it's not even a an unwillingness to discuss it. It's a, 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 a almost a pushback where it's discussed in the most unrealistic terms. I saw uh, late last week, uh, the BBC uh, tweeted out and, and had a show discussing what the correct punishment for blasphemy is. Yes. Uh, you know, and this is <laughs> the British Broadcasting Corporation in a, as you mentioned, an Anglo-Saxon country asking what the punishment for blasphemy, and a secular Anglo-Saxon country, what yeah. the punishment for blasphemy should be. And and you know the, the the outrage that follows is from the usual suspects on the right side of the political spectrum, uh, but essentially nothing gets said of this. I then see another um, report of a, a nursery school. Uh, I think this is now in, in it's either Sweden or one of the uh, sort of Nordic countries, whereby uh, an entire nursery school class has undergone f uh, full female genital mutilation. And I, for those listeners who who don't know what that means, there are different levels of of this genital mutilation, and the full version is horrific. I mean, the 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 bo bottom version is horrific, but the full version is just beyond horrific. So uh, it, it's it's not. It's not, and no one reports on this. Um, you know, you guys as Breitbart, if you report on it, you're, you're Islamophobic, obviously. Uh, mm. And it's it's just odd because is the is it is it that the that conversation is being had because the media is relatively controlled on the left hand side of the aisle. Yeah. If if I could do if I could change one thing in the world <laughs> to make everything better and nice, yeah. The thing I would do would be to remove the license fee from the BBC. So, as you, as you know, at the, at the moment we have to pay a compulsory license fee for the BBC. Uh, so do we. And, um, not, not, I do. Not for the BBC, not but for the, BBC. For the SABC. A, a, lo a local <laughs> broadcasting corporation, yes. Oh, that's right. By law. 
Yeah, it's completely awful, isn't it? It got hijacked by that uh, by... the guy who made loads and loads of money from it and sent his, I think one of his children went to Oxford to, to call oh, Dalian Pofu. Dalian Pofu. Yeah, exactly. I mean, thanks, guys, for sending your worst people over to Oxford to ruin things in Oxford, as they've already... Well, it's, uh, it's not really our ACT. fault. It's the Rhodes Committee, who are a bunch of weeping left liberals, who choose the candidates who tell them in the interviews how much they hate the white patriarchy that is Oxford. Yeah. But please, can I have a scholarship to go there? How do you cope with this stuff? I mean, how do you cope in, in South Africa? What, what do you do? Uh, well, we, we're deeply cynical and we laugh. Well, we cry ourselves to sleep. We do get but, woken up in the morning by being called racist. That's how every day usually starts. Uh, I'm almost not joking by saying that. Yeah. Uh, we recently had uh, one of our uh, top politicians try to have a discussion about the uh, potential uh, positive spin-offs as much as negative stuff that came out of colonialism, what positive stuff we could move forward with in referencing what Singapore did post-colonialism, and she yeah. is being currently drawn and courted. Uh, for even mentioning it because by her own political party by the way who's a so-called liberal party a classically liberal classically party. liberal party is she is she black or white she's white she's, white. she's a white woman oh white yeah and she she she's white. the white woman who who uh who exposed the apartheid government's lies about steve biko's death right okay yeah but it, it's never enough is it the, the, no no matter how left you are they will always eat their own. I mean, actually, to be fair to the left, they're almost as bad as, as, as we are on the right. They they, they kill moderates. and um, Well, they kill their moderates, but we are not on our side kill our, our kind of most articulate spokesmen and women. Um, yeah, um, I don't know how you deal with it. I mean, it's pretty bad. And it's pretty bad over here, but it's not as bad as it is. We, we haven't got... Uh, <laughs> I, live, I live on a farm. We haven't yet reached the stage where... Um, where people get bumped off for being the wrong the wrong colour. Oh, uh, yeah, we're getting there. We're getting yeah, there. Yeah, but, but, definitely are. Yeah. And it's happening across Africa. It's happening in Kenya as well. Um, I, I, I don't know how much longer the white man's got in, in Africa, really. And I, lo I, I love Africa. I, I've, I've, it's, it's, it's almost my favourite continent, probably. I've just had so many good times there, there travelling across and visiting lots of countries, including South Africa. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great place. I can't complain, except for... Well, we, we, we can't complain. Yeah, we can't, we can't complain, complain about crime. Don't um, be white. <laughs> but, 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 I mean, I think you have the same problem in England um, where the, the media is just completely one-sided. Uh, even, even, yes. even if it's owned well, by you, corporations, funny enough, not just the public going media. Going back to my point about yes. the BBC, the, the, our, our state broadcaster, it does... It does um, it's a form of brainwashing organisation because it, from, from cradle to grave. Because it gets you with programs like Teletubbies and uh, whatever the other BBC children's mm. programmes are, and then it carries carries through to uh, well, it used to be Blue Peter and John Craven's News Round. I'm not sure what it is now, but but they're all a form. Radio World, of course, which is a, a form of youth brainwashing, and then as you get older, you move on to to Radio Four, and and you've got Radio Three when you're almost dead, playing classical music, and at every stage of your life. The BBC is there to to control the news news agenda and and to teach you the correct way to think about the world. And one of the correct ways to think about the world is to completely ignore the elephant in the room, which is that there are these communities dotted around Britain which don't want to integrate, which want to uh, genitally mutilate little girls, which want to rape 
gang rape white girls um, because they are too far and they're not worthy of any kind of respect. And it's not quite fair to say they get away with it with absolute impunity because obviously there have been prosecutions eventually, but they took a long time coming. Yeah. And in the meantime, they were allowed to carry on with, I think, the collusion of the of the local authorities, the local childcare authorities, the local police were in on the act to a degree, um, if only uh, through looking the other way. The local councils knew about it. It's It's disgraceful. And they did this because they didn't want to lose the local ethnic vote. Oh, is, is that it? Oh, that's simple. Aren't they? <laughs> oh, part, yeah. Well, you think about it. For, for example, you're a, you're a Labour MP, which probably means you're going to be in a former working class, a, a working class constituency, many of which have been taken over by, by um, is, is, uh, Islamic communities. Just places like Bradford, Rotherham, the towns of the towns of the north, formerly mill towns, um, industrial decline, and all that, and so they've been they've given way to these to these ghettos. Well, if you want to control your your power base and you want to get these people's votes, you're not going to do so by confronting any of these problems, are you? You're going to have to turn a blind eye. Yeah. No. I mean, yeah, but it's, yeah, the relativism is quite astounding at the best of times, to be honest with you. But James, last few minutes with you, can I just ask you one more question about Labour, specifically about Jeremy Corbyn. What on earth are they doing? <laughs> the man's a lunatic and, and the most unpopular and it looks like someone pissed in his cornflakes every single morning. How can people expect someone to like him, let alone vote for him? No, well, lots of people have have strong views about Jeremy Corbyn, whereas I think he's a, a really good thing because, I mean, he is so clearly unelectable. Yes. He is. He is the. He's a fan of Hamas and was a sympathizer of the IRA. Loves Venezuela. Terrible. Thinks North Korea is not too bad. He thinks North Korea is not too bad. His economic policy is is kind of slightly to the left of of Karl Marx. He's just <laughs> he is totally unelectable, and he is he is personally deeply uncharismatic. Um, he reminds me a bit, actually, of... Do you watch Game of Thrones? Yes, of course. Labour... Okay, so the kind of people who support Jeremy Corbyn are the Sparrows. And he is like the High Sparrows. Um, (laughs) They are these... these, They've got this glint in their eye. They haven't actually got the the, the star uh, cut into their forehead, but they've got everything but. And these are absolute zealots who are completely removed from, from the mainstream political system. And because of the anomalies to do with how the Labour Party elects its leaders and stuff, it's it's pretty impossible for Corbyn to be ousted. And so I don't look at the Labour Party and and, and Corbyn and think this is awful. I just think, well, great, because it's taken taken the enemy out of the equation. Yeah, they're tanking themselves. The da- yeah, they're taking themselves out. But the downside of this is, well, it's not a downside, it's just, it's just a shocking fact, is that Theresa May's Conservatives have not taken advantage of this, this gap on the other side. It's the, the way they carry on, you'd think there was a really effective Labour Party out there 
um, monitoring their every every move and, and watching them for any kind of drift to the right. Uh, but the, that party is not doing it. You know, there was no left left wing party doing that thing. Therefore, Theresa May could be much, much bolder because there's no one to stop her and she's not doing it. I think that's disgraceful. Yeah. So talking about leaders who are uh, disgraceful, especially in your opinion, uh, tell us uh, why you rank Obama as the worst American president in history. Oh, I think he was the Manchurian candidate. He, 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 he was groomed by the left from an early age um, because he fitted the right racial profile and so on. Um, I, there's, there's great mystery surrounding where he came from. I don't think he was a particularly talented lawyer, and yet he was somehow put through the the system. He granted this position where he became a he he leapfrogged from being a, a community organizer, whatever that is, into it's the lowest becoming, level politician you can actually be in the U.S. Pretty much. Uh, yeah, he, he 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 sort of he rose without trace. And next thing we know, what's happened? This guy is in charge of America, and using his various czars to to bypass the checks and balances which were put there by the founding fathers to ensure that America remained moderate. And America under Obama became about as enthralled to the left as, it, as it's ever been since probably the days of the fascist Woodrow Wilson. And uh, Actually, it's, I think it's a myth that America was always the land of the free. It's, it's, it's had several really quite left-wing regimes. Uh, yeah. Woodrow Wilson, um, FDR was pretty left-wing. Yeah, by far. Um, yeah. um, and and probably very overrated as a president. Oh, totally, totally. I mean, he, he prolonged he prolonged the Great Depression uh, through his policies. There's no doubt about that. And then you've got LBJ with his Great Society. Yeah. But I suppose what I'm saying is that um, America did drift even further to the left under Obama. He did nothing to address the structural injustices of the American system, whereby a Washington elite became increasingly unaccountable, while the middle classes in America saw their living standards stagnate, if not drop, where the education system uh, went from bad to worse, uh, hitting hardest the very people that a black president was supposed well, I mean, is, is he black? He's no more black than he's white, of course. But he's black when he needs to be. Black when he needs to be. That so the very people, the the, the minorities, the ethnic minorities who voted in their droves for, 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 for Obama because he was one of theirs, supposedly that they thought, actually enabled the um, the education system to get worse, to be held hostage by the by the trades unions and for standards to drop, and of course keep them in poverty. Yeah, and a lot of what he did, he did through executive orders. He he made. Uh he made the executive branch of the American government the legislative branch of the American government, which is not meant to be. Uh, stuff's yeah. meant to run through Congress and Senate. And, of course, the left got around this by saying, well, the Republicans are just being obstructive, so it's only fair for him to pass everything by executive order. Of course, now they have Trump passing a lot by executive order, and it's not okay. Um, in terms of in terms of uh, Trump, what he's done so far there's been a lot of hysteria. I find it very difficult to get a balanced view on Trump uh, in the media in, in general. You have to really look at many, many sources to get your own view. 
Um, what's, what's your view on what he's done right so far, what he's done wrong? Well, I'm not going to give you a balanced view. I think he's great. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I went over to D.C. before he, he um, became president, just after he'd been voted in. And I wanted to dip my toes into the water to see what was what was happening. And I spoke to some members of his transition teams, which are the kind of the groups which, which organise who's going to take over the various departments when, when he finally becomes president. And one person said to me, look, you've got to realise that if any other Republican candidate than Donald Trump had come to power, you would never have got a guy like me running a transition team. In other words, if you're a real conservative, you, if you're, you believe in, in the kind of things that I think we believe in, the kind of red meat stuff, Trump is totally our man. Look at, for example, of who's in charge of education. Betsy DeVos. Fantastic. Betsy DeVos. Fantastic. I love her already. You see, any 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 less cautious... You were grumbling earlier about it. You, you were expressing reservations about Trump. Look, um, sometimes you need a kind of uh, a gorilla to get things done. Uh, you, you don't want somebody who's, who's a kind of polished DC beltway person. You no. want somebody who's going to take the fight to the enemy. Nobody else would have appointed Betsy DeVos because they'd have been scared of, of, of upsetting the teachers' unions. Whereas, so here you've got a woman who is, okay, she's a billionaire, let's not hold that against us. She's going to make life better for the poor kids who were let down by Obama. Yes. Isn't that a good thing? No, of Look course. at what he's done at the EPA. He's put Scott Pruitt in charge. Scott Pruitt, the guy who, um, when he was an attorney, a district, uh, 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 an attorney in Oklahoma, spent his whole time fighting the EPA. He's now going to slash the budget and, and okay. slash all these, these programs. So I want to push you a little bit on that because I, I know uh, environment is, is one of your pet peeves. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I just want to give the, the obviously the argument that comes to that. Scott Pruitt is the worst thing that could happen to the EPA. It's an absolute disaster that their budget's being slashed by, I think, 35%. Um, someone on Twitter the other day, some moron, said that uh, there should be a, a uh, people that of our climate change deniers should be, uh, should be no, held before the International Criminal that Court. That was Eric, Eric Idle from Monty Python, the yeah. guy who sang always look on the bright side of life. <laughs> the like I said, and some moron. Um, <laughs> so, you know, uh, what's your what's your argument against that, against obviously this comment that, oh, well, you know, the EPA w- was going to save the earth from itself and from humans destroying it, and now well. our futures are destroyed. So, Jonathan, do any of your listeners actually believe in that eco shit? Because if they do, um, obviously they should read my book, Watermelons, which explains that in great detail, more detail than I'm capable of giving you in one minute, which is about what we've got left for this, for yeah, this sure. show. Yeah. Um, uh, climate change is the biggest scientific con trick in history. And, and uh, clean energy, the renewable industry, is... I think one of the greatest crimes ever perpetrated against the taxpayer and the environment, by the way. You think of all the birds and bats which are sliced and diced by, by wind Windmills. turbines, which I call bat-chomping, bird-slicing, eco-cruises races. <laughs> solar is, so even in South Africa, solar is not the solution. You need energy. You need cheap energy. You need abundant energy. You need, you mm. need reliable energy. Well, you our cheapest energy would be gas, actually. Well, okay, so you need gas, yeah. Fracking, so, yeah. Um, and that's fine. So, so any 
anyone who's prepared to take on the, the green blob as President Trump is and Scott Pruitt is gets a medal from me. They're, they are total heroes. They are even if they, even if Trump does nothing else, then destroys the green blob. He, will, he that will make him one of the greatest presidents ever. James, in the minute we've got left, uh, just punt your podcast uh, and where our listeners can find you. Your listeners, hello, lovely listener. I, I know you've got to address listeners personally because because uh, people don't listen in a group. They listen on their own in their car or, or wherever. Um, yeah. I would say, dear lovely listener, that you will find my podcast almost as enjoyable as the one you're listening to now. It's really, really good. It's called Dellingpole. Uh, it's presented by me, James Dellingpole. And each week I talk to just really interesting people. It's like a conversation. It's not adversarial. It's, uh, it, it's, it's like overhearing a really intelligent, erudite, funny, charming, politically insightful, uh, sometimes, sometimes snarky chat. And I can't recommend it highly enough, even though I'm a bit biased. So okay. listen to my Delling Pole podcast on Breitbart, or you can listen to it on iTunes. And apparently, if you if you use those phones that aren't Apple, uh, that aren't iPhones, there are some other ways that you can do it. Yeah, I'm sure uh, on, on, on Pocket Cost. Androids. And, yeah. and uh, for, personally, for me, the Jacob Rees-Mogg conversation was superb. If you don't know Jacob Rees-Mogg, listen to that. He's an yeah. MP. Start there. And he's so posh, and he loves being posh. It is fantastic. <laughs> really good. Start with Jacob Rees-Mogg, and then work your way through the whole series. Although, in the early days... Um, my recording skills aren't very good and, and I, I think I sort of pressed the wrong button so I, I didn't use the right oh, button. Don't worry, I have that disease. They're great. <laughs> James, thank you for joining us at James Dellingpole on Twitter. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Don't get banned from Facebook again. No, okay. Don't right. use the word cuck. Well, you can use the word cuck on here at least. Yeah, yeah, James, you thank you yeah. so much. Okay. All the best. Thank Cheers. You. Bye. James, just a quick question before you go. Yeah. Um, yeah. Would you be able to put us in contact with Joel Pollack? Yeah. Sure. Uh, we'd love to chat to him because apparently he, I don't know if it's true, but apparently he was tipped to potentially be the next ambassador to South Africa. Um, I don't know if that'll ever happen, but uh, he is formerly South African and he'd be very interesting to chat to. Oh, cool. Yeah, okay. I'll do that. Roman will be in touch. Thanks, man. Okay. Really right. appreciate the chat, eh? Cheers, James. Bye. Bye. Okay, we just need to. No, no, don't stop. Okay. Well, that was a that was a great chat, Ramon. Thank you for for organising James to come on oh, the no, podcast. Perfect. He's he's like sort of a, he's like a troll, but he writes in a way that is extremely funny, but that takes the piss out of everyone. But he writes, the, but he's, he's he's a what do you call it? He's a very evidence driven journalist, but he's not afraid to dip the toe into like just slicing someone in half. Yeah, if he hates and, you. and it's it's great it's it's great to chat with him. Really nice nice intellectual conversation I found. So well, I don't know intellectual is the word, but uh, yeah, chatty. <laughs> All right, so that's uh, that's the show for the week. Um, you can you want to say was there something I'm yeah? Forgetting? So um, I think we're going to remind our listeners that although we like to do this to do it for free is a bit galling for art capitalists like us so if they do wish to come join us in terms of a, a sponsorship or a, a deal we are very flexible myself and Jonathan control everything with the podcast uh, so if you'd like to join us be part of the Renegade Report advertise with us feel free to contact us at the usual spots right yeah, on Twitter so, uh, on Facebook at 
Renegade underscore report on Twitter is the easiest way. Otherwise, Facebook at what? Renegade Report, I think. Yeah, That's and Renegade it. Report, Renegade Report group. You can catch us on the mailbox <laughs> at Renegade, uh, Renegade Report mailbox at gmail.com. Uh, thanks so much for listening. As Ramon mentioned, we uh, would love uh, support. We are trying to expand the podcast, do bigger things. Um, so the uh, more funding and support we can get, uh, the more we'll be able to do. And thank you, as always, for listening to the top podcast on Cliff Central and one of the top in the country. CliffCentral.com